Allen on politics. Together we'll stand. Welcome to Alan on Politics. I was speaking to myself apparently a few minutes ago because I had forgotten to transition to when I am uh, when I'm appearing on camera. Anyway, welcome to Alan on Politics. I hope you stuck through that couple of minutes where you couldn't see anything happening after the opening title. Um, in fact, I'd almost like to start over, but that's not in the cards right now. Let me gather my thoughts for a second here. Welcome to Alan on Politics. I am live streaming on Saturday morning, March 5th, 2022. And it is now, let's see, 8.34 in the morning. I'm also recording this so that I can put it up later on video, uh, video form on YouTube and on audio form as a podcast on various podcast platforms where you may be listening to it right now. This week was a hard week to pay attention to the news because of all the coverage of the horrible violence and destruction going on with Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And last week I talked about this for a bit, uh, really talking about the role of um, power in politics and different forms of power. One form is using violence like this. Another form is using moral persuasion, essentially, and it's not only hard to watch destruction, it's hard to watch uh, people justifying that kind of thing. Uh, Vladimir Putin in Russia is trying to make the case that this is a justified invasion, that uh, Ukraine is really part of Russia and they're the Russian people and he's doing this to save people from evil forces. It's always like that. Uh, the use of violence and destruction is always justified with ethical arguments, which goes to show the importance of having an ethical argument. Even if it's transparent to a lot of people, the people in power feel the need to justify what they're doing in terms of ethics. So I want to talk more about ethics today, specifically backing off from the war. I don't think I have a lot new to say about that. I'm not an expert in Ukraine or Russia or even foreign policy. But I do have a lot to say about ethics because I've thought about social justice and I've thought about what moves people in politics. And as I was saying last week, I don't think it's just material interests. So when I begin to talk about ethics and politics, I know there's some who would feel that this is kind of idealistic and that the real thing that motivates people is their material interest. That's kind of a crude form of Marxism, but a lot of other people who are not Marxists share that view as well, that politics is all about selfish interest and the pursuit of maybe class interest or simply personal interest or corporate interest or economic interest, whatever it might be. I think that it's also motivated by ethical argumentation some of it transparently cynical, but some of it sincere. And I don't think even those who say they believe that material interests govern history are free of ethical motivation. I think of some of the great socialist leaders in the past, Marxists as well, including Marxists, Marx himself, 
who made great personal sacrifices in their life to try to work for a world in which uh, there was less violence, less exploitation, less human suffering. Why would they make that kind of personal sacrifice unless they held to some kind of moral ideal for human beings, the way we should treat each other, the way society should be run more justly? I think that's always hidden in there. So both material interests and ethical sensibilities are important in politics. There's two forms of relationships that we have in life that I think come into play when we criticize capitalism, or at least when I criticize capitalism, and try to envision a better society based on some form of ethics. The one is the relationship that we all have to the non-human material resources in the world, that is the land, what's under the land, natural resources, raw materials, plants, vegetation, all that. That kind of um, non-human things, stuff, and how we relate to it and how we relate to each other in regards to that. Think of tribal societies. They had no idea of property per se. All land and natural resources were things that were um, accorded respect and were regarded as somewhat sacred. Uh, so it was really a matter of treating the land well and preserving it for future generations, not a matter of private property and uh, assigning use to particular individuals. Although, of course, there, if people created their own tools, that they had a claim on them. Uh, I don't know a lot about tribal societies either and exactly what their ethics were. But I know today, property relations is a very important thing. And our society is founded on a justification for some people having lots and lots of control over property and other people having very little. Not only land, but the accumulated use of raw materials in making machines, buildings, vehicles, all the stuff that we've created with the uh, natural resources we've been given. What is the proper or fair or um, right type of relationship human beings should have toward the world around them. Now, I've been thinking about this for a while, and uh, it, it's important to me because, not only because I want to found a world based on ethical principles, personally, but because I think other people do respond to arguments about what is fair and what is not. If you think the world is being run fair, even if you're suffering, you may put up with it. But if somebody helps explain to you why it's not fair, you may be more willing to work and work harder for something different. Think of, uh, as an example, say you were in a poker game and you lost your entire paycheck for the week. Uh, you had to leave the game and as you're going out, you feel bad, but you don't demand your money back. The, the rules were fair and you knew what they were going in and you lost everything. Now, that's a metaphor, obviously, for the society we're in. There's lots of people who don't have much, who lost a lot of what they had in various financial crises or because of you know, personal circumstances like a major health issue or losing a job or something like that. And they could walk away from it just thinking it's up to them to try to do better next time or work harder to get more. But what if you thought that 
poker game was rigged, that the other players were cheating, I think you'd be much more likely to go back and demand your money and demand a fair play. And this is why I talk about ethics, because I think that we are being cheated, especially in our relationships involved with how we have access to natural resources. Now, those of you who have watched a lot of my videos are going to see that some of these arguments are familiar, but I want to reiterate them because they're important. When we think about non-human resources, what is our relationship to them? I don't see any way that private property in the sense that some particular individual or set of individuals have the right to use specific property, whether that be land or natural resources or the things we've already made out of that stuff, have, have the exclusive right to determine how those things are going to be used unless everybody has access to enough resources to live a life that's in accordance with our productive capacities. So let, me, let me read what I've written to myself as I tried to formulate this. Read it so that you can ponder it for a second and see whether you agree with me or not. The earth and its natural non-human resources, and here I'm going to add another thought, as well as the advancement of theoretical and practical knowledge of previous generations, are the inheritance of all human beings. The inheritance of all human beings. How can any of us claim a right, an exclusive right, to any of what we've inherited, any of what's been passed down to us that we've been born into and not created ourselves? How do we have a right to do any of that unless other people have a right to enough of it to live a decent life? I can't understand how that can be justified, except that our own human labor gives us a right to what we've added in value. Now, that's an important argument because it's been used to justify a communist society by pointing out that uh, human labor that has created value by being mixed in or, or used to create um, stuff out of other stuff, the human labor has been stolen from us. I'm not going to move into that too much today. I'm going to talk more about what a fair society would look like. Okay, so I derive two subsidiary principles from that first one. That first one, again, being the earth, natural resources, as well as the advancement of theoretical and practical knowledge of previous generations are the inheritance of all of us. First sub-principle here is, therefore, every human has an unconditional right to access sufficient resources to live a dignified life in accordance with society's current productive capacities. What I'm saying here is that if all of us have inherited the natural resource of the earth, and I can't see how anyone can claim a specific piece of it, or even the right to use, mix their labor with a specific piece of it, unless we all have some kind of tacit agreement about it, if we've all inherited it, what kind of agreement would we make among ourselves about the use of that? And I think one principle that all of us could agree on if we were starting blind and didn't know what position we were going to end up in, that's an argument made by a philosopher John Rawls many years ago now, a few decades, 
would be an agreement that all of us have to have access to at least enough of it to live a decent life in accordance with what's possible to be created. Now that leaves some room for people to have an incentive to work harder to have more, but it also says that you cannot claim so much of this that other people don't have enough even to live a decent life, to have a roof over their head, to have food to eat, to have uh, adequate medical treatment. Okay. Now what about that theoretical and practical knowledge of previous generations? Why do we all have a right to share in that? Well, I think that's pretty simple, is that knowledge isn't something that can be, it's something that can be shared without losing it yourself. That is, if I'm using a piece of land, it's hard to let somebody else use it at the same time. But if I have knowledge and I share it with you, I haven't lost anything. We both have it now. And especially previous generations, they're already dead and gone, so they're not going to claim the right to control that knowledge. So I think we all have a right to the benefit of the application of knowledge to human resources, to advanced technology, and therefore, we have a right not only to a bare minimal living, but a dignified life in accordance with what's possible to create in our world today with the kind of technical knowledge that we have, with the kind of practical and theoretical knowledge that's been applied to the productive uh, activities of life. So that's the first sub-principle. The second one is more of a environmental issue and therefore, because we all have inherited this, all humans have the responsibility to enhance and not degrade these resources and the habitability of the earth for current and future generations. So that's simply saying we don't have the right to abuse the earth and make it worse for other people in future generations as well as today. We have to take care of it and especially climate change comes into the picture when I think about this. So that's the ethical principle I'm proposing about this. Now what would it look like in practical terms? Now, in terms of taking care of the earth, there's a lot of things that can be done obviously and I'm not going to pick and choose among them today because that's just a vast topic to go into. But how can we assure that everybody has the ability to have what they need to have a decent life? Now here's where I'm going to distinguish my views from those of communists. Uh, because I think, number one, the, the attempt to implement communist principles has been a disaster in most of the countries where it's been handled. It's given too much power to few, too few people and often resulted in um, less production than it could have if people had more incentives to do more. So the communist principle is that we all share things collectively. It's uh, nothing is privately owned, everything is socially owned, and because we have such an ability to create an abundance that we could reach a society in which nobody had the desire or need to have more than somebody else. Everybody would just want enough and there'd be plenty to go around, so there'd be no need for private property. That's a nice picture. I don't know that it's possible. I think human beings may always have some contention over things. Who gets what? For example, one house may look better aesthetically than another, might have a better view or have been uh, 
just have a better layout or design and more than one person might like that house and want it. So I guess it'd be possible to build lots of houses, but at the same time, uh, there'll be degradation of the environments already going on with climate change. So the possibility of abundance is being is slipping away from us because it's going to be harder to grow food in the midst of droughts and it's going to be harder to uh, have enough to go around if things are being destroyed by floods and wildfires and the rest of it. So climate change has to be addressed and I don't know that we're going to be in a position where there is enough to go around that everybody will feel like, well, fine, we don't have to assign ownership to anybody. We can just all have what we need. I think also power equations come into this, and I'm planning to talk about this more next week, the relationships between human beings rather than our relationship to property. In societies like the Soviet Union and other places where they've tried to implement this practice of collective ownership, the question has become who determines what's going to be produced and how it's going to be distributed to who. The attempt to make it such that we're moving toward a, an economy where everybody shares things on some kind of fair basis without assigning any specific uh, rights of property means that we've given that power over to some larger force, usually in the government, and they have used it for their own interests. In my view, what assigning property rights to individuals does is it decentralizes power by ensuring that everybody has sufficient property to defend their own interests. So some combination of number one, uh, assuring that everybody has at least the basics they need to leave a lead a dignified life in our current productive capacities. And number two, still has incentives for people to produce more and to build up their own property ownership over time combined, I think would make a workable society, not a utopian vision where somehow human nature has gotten to the point where our social conditions are so different that we're able to share everything without conflict, but rather a combination of meeting everybody's basic needs through things like a universal basic income and universal health care. And then a market-based economy where people can gain extra income by working, determining what they want to do. I mean, if you've got a basic income, you don't have to accept a job just out of necessity. You can pick and choose among the things that interest you and that if you're more interested in making more money or you're more interested in self-fulfillment, you can pick which job you want to go into. And then that extra money based on your labor is your own. And here's another area where I think the socialist position, or at least the Marxist position, has gone wrong in saying that in the past, because labor had been mixed with raw materials, but that added value was appropriated by capitalists and stolen from workers, then those previous workers are now dead and it's impossible to reassign them what their labor was really worth. So now we all, all the working class is really owed 
what those previous workers did. Now there's where I think uh, Marx may have gone wrong. I'm going to go back and reread Capital uh, for the first time in decades because I want to make sure that I'm understanding his argument correctly. And I don't think when I was younger, I may not, I think I may not have understood it correctly. But as I think about it now, I think what he's saying is that past labor can be assigned to the working class as a whole. But what he's not saying is then that leads to the assumption that current labor is also assigned to the working class as a whole. Otherwise, you'd have to have some formulation that says the more you work or the harder you work or the longer you work, you're paid more. You, you've, you've given access to more resources. Otherwise, the labor you do is not yours. It's not personal. It's something that belongs to all of us as workers. That principle, I don't think people would generally accept as particularly fair. I think they would regard it as uh, a disincentive to do things that are too very difficult or, or maybe people would work hard even if they uh, didn't have any specific return for their labor that was based on how hard or, or well they worked. But I think in general, people are going to have the sense that that's not a fair system. Just like today, it's hard for people to believe it's a fair system when some people like Jeff Bezos have, what, tens of billions of dollars. How could he have possibly have worked that hard or deserved that? And other people have nothing. They're living on the street. I think it's hard for people to believe in the vision of a communist society or anything close to that where your own labor has no relationship to what you're able to gain from it. And since I don't believe we're going to, in the near future, have in a society where there's enough abundance that w there would be no conflict over property, I think you have to have some kind of assignment of property rights in the sense that you have the, the right to determine the use of particular pieces of property. Now, next week, I'm going to go more into social relations because workplaces are social organizations and the creation of value is a collective enterprise. So that creates a wrinkle in this. How do you determine what each person's share of a collective enterprise is? That's another side of the argument that I want to tackle next week. This week, what I want to do is raise that principle and say, well, a just society would be one in which there's a provision for everybody to have the basics met. And I think the best way to do that would be a universal basic income and universal health care. And then on top of that, you could add to what, you're, what you have access to, the property you have access to, through your own efforts and what they would bring to you, not on some basis of what's um, specifically fair, but in the basis of market relations, like what, how much demand is there for the kind of labor you're willing to offer and how many people are there like you who are willing to offer it between supply and demand, there would be a price. And you could determine, as you do now, what you would accept. Only there wouldn't be that pressing necessity to accept just anything, no matter what the conditions are, because you would starve otherwise. So those two things together, I think, would make a more fair system. That's my vision of where I want to go. And I'd like to hear from you what you have to say. I'm seeing the, the chat room is not working uh, once again, so I'm not able to take the comments, apparently. 
unless uh, somebody helps me out by sending me a message as happened in the past but I'm not seeing anything right now I don't know if that means that nobody's out there I doubt it I think there's at least one person out there maybe a few uh, uh, I, I guess another thing I could do is look I should do this next week is um, bring a separate electronic device where I can look at the YouTube video as it's ongoing and check on that if there, I can see chats on the side because the software I'm using right now I'm not seeing anything in the chat room it's been 25 minutes I've been talking and five minutes when I was talking without the camera turned on so that's we're going into nine o'clock and I plan these things to go from 8:30 to 9 uh, I got a little thrown off at the beginning because I forgot to transition so right now, I think it's probably a good time to close up, close on time. Um, and next week, once again, we'll try to work out some of these technical difficulties. Uh, thanks for joining me, those of you who are out there. And uh, I hope to see you again next week. And please, if you have comments that you've been trying to get across on what I've just been saying, put them in the comment section on the YouTube page once the video get, gets processed and put up or put them on my Facebook page, Allen on Politics, or even on the uh, Freedom and Cooperation group when I post the video in those two places on Facebook. I'd like to hear what your comments are. I want to be able to respond to them. And thanks again for being with me. I guess that's it for this week. And hope going forward, I'm able to get this thing working a little better over time. Bye. You know